an episode on life insurance? Yes, this is a super important episode. We sat down with Yoel Bodek, who doesn't actually sell life insurance to individuals. He'll tell you what he does, but he was super insightful. Life insurance, what is it? What are the different types? How much does it cost? What are some success stories? Who can we turn to if we need life insurance? Well, everyone has a life insurance salesman, right? And if you're not, I promise you, if you post to your status, I need someone who sells life insurance and they have to be good, you'll get 10 replies within the first 20 minutes. Um, There are great people out there. I use a great person. Um, Yaakov, you have life insurance? Yes, sir. A lot of people have life insurance and a lot of people don't. I did a poll on my status as to who has life insurance and what type. Do you have term? Do you have whole slash permanent? And everyone besides one person said that they have life insurance, which means I think people that didn't have it were a little bit shy. Don't be shy. It's um, critical. You don't go through school in 11th grade. They teach you what life insurance was. Yaakov, did you know what life insurance was before you got married? Or like, did you know the ins and outs of it? No, no, no. I thought it was the same thing as health insurance. Okay. Which... You have health insurance? Yes. Okay. Health insurance is super important too. But um, y'all was very insightful. Um, life insurance, especially term, can cost a handful of dollars a month. And you can protect your family, right? You're not getting life insurance for you. You're getting for for your family. Um, if you're older and you're like, this is an episode that someone... I know should be listening to share it with them. I know there are life insurance salesmen that are listening and saying, Hey, how come you didn't have me on? We'll get to everyone. We'll get not. There's way too many of you. You're all awesome. Keep up the great work. Podcast produced by Living Lachayim, a podcast network. Look them up on YouTube and subscribe. Don't forget, this episode is sponsored by FAO Printing. If you need promo items, t-shirts, caps, Hit them up, Pinny, P-I-N-N-Y at F-A-O-Printing.com. More about them in the middle of this episode. Without further ado, Yoel Bodek. Privileged to have with us Yoel Bodek. Came in from Muncie for this. Privileged. And we want to get right into it. Life Life insurance. Sounds like an exciting topic. Yeah, I don't want to bore people. Is this going to be boring? I, I want to uh, prep people. Does it have to be boring? It doesn't have to be boring. I think it'll be a very informative, insightful conversation. Hopefully, maybe a little fun. Okay, cool. Um, life insurance. It's really death insurance, isn't it? That's what they used to sell it as. Back oh, in really? the day, they called it death insurance until a genius marketer figured out people don't like death insurance, and they packaged it and relabeled it until they figured out life insurance will sell a lot more. And sales skyrocketed after they did that, right? So how did you get into the life insurance space? I was coming out of yeshiva and thinking about different opportunities. My father has his own business, um, Baruch Hashem still does. Uh, He said, well, you're coming to work for me. I said, great, I'll come to work for you so long as I find it to be exciting and stimulating and interesting. And we sort of made up a time, come in, and if you find it, Exciting, stay on, and otherwise, you're free to sort of explore. Uh, I was reading, I used to read a lot of biographies of people like Jack Welch. I would read the Forbes magazine. And financial markets were of great interest to me. Day trading was just starting 21, 22 years ago. 
uh, or just over that with the, with the introduction of the internet in Silicon Valley and all of that. So I found financial markets uh, um, very interesting and exciting. So after working for my father for a while, which great business, but wasn't a very good fit for me, I started exploring. I posted a resume on Monster.com. Okay, now, a job sport. Uh, yeah, it's just too bad that I didn't have a copy of it because I think at this point it's probably laughable. But whatever I did, it was picked up by a recruiting manager at a MetLife office in okay. Bay Ridge in Brooklyn. And MetLife sells? And MetLife sells life insurance. life insurance. So this nice person reached out to me and said, would you like to come in for a job, interview job opportunity? Mm-hmm. I like still single at the time and I figured yeah, I got nothing to lose I'll go and check it out and see what it's about the idea of life insurance is not exciting to me but I figured this is an opportunity let me at least take a look at it just showed up for the interview and I told the interviewer the managing partner where I still check in with every now and then this is not life insurance it's not really something that I'm very interested in uh, but she successfully sold me on the idea now it's not just about life insurance it's about financial planning it's about asset allocation, helping uh, families and businesses uh, plan for their future. And she sort, of, she sort of sold me on the idea this is not about life insurance. It is sort of financial planning. Hmm. And so I figured I liked the markets. I liked those conversations. And I, I said, you know, can't hurt me. I'll try it. 22, maybe almost 23 years later, I'm very much involved in the life insurance business in many different ways. And it's generally been a very good ride and for the listening audience are you selling life insurance what's your what role do you play in the life insurance space so in the life insurance space i play the role as a wholesaler which is a very interesting concept Mm -hmm. because we don't have a warehouse stocked with insurance products or insurance policies and boxes right however on progressive commercials they do (laughs) they do peg it as that However, I like to explain it as, think of a major insurance brand, like a Prudential. Mm-hmm. They're the product manufacturer. We are their distributor or wholesaler. The advisor, the insurance agent or broker, they would be the retailer and they are our customer. And then there's the buyer, the end user consumer. So we help life insurance brokers, agents, or even accountants that are involved in financial planning and, some, and get involved in the topic of life insurance or those that are involved in commercial property and casualty liability, mm-hmm. where maybe life insurance is not their main product or focus, we help them sell life insurance. And we do anything from someone calling us, say, hey, I'm going out to meet Ellie tomorrow. Mm-hmm. What's the right product? Or what's the right fit for whatever they're trying to achieve? But why do they need you? Why can't they just go to Prudential directly and say, Very hey? Good question. So most companies will not deal directly with an insurance broker. So many of them have their own individual agencies, right? And sure, in Cedars, you know, the Northwestern Group, and in, in other neighborhoods, I'm sure you know your own local uh, mm-hmm. insurance agency. However, when those folks look for a product outside of their own company, they come to somebody like us because A, most insurance companies will not deal with them directly. B, we're sort of a one-stop shop for them. So instead of them calling 20 different insurance companies trying to figure out what's the best fit for their client, they can come to us one phone call. We will help them figure out based on their client's objectives, based on client's financial needs, based on client's medical, either existing or past history, and we will help them match the right product. And also, the way we're set up, we can generally compensate them 
uh, more competitively than if they were to go to any one insurance company directly. And from the insurance company's perspective, we help them market the products because not everybody knows everything that Prudential sells. Mm-hmm. Right? We represent about 35 companies and on our, in our warehouse, so to speak, we have close to 700 different products. So it can become pretty daunting to try and have to figure that out. Most insurance agents, advisors, uh, like to focus on what they do best, which is sitting with their clients, listening to their clients' needs, and hopefully coming up with the right proposal that would suit their clients' needs. They don't want to be bogged down with figuring out what the technicals are or, well, this company has a different protocol of submitting the application or this company would have different requirements. We streamline all of that for them and make their life a lot easier. So I, let's say I have a few friends on my block. Can we go directly to you as the wholesaler and you sort of help us in bulk where we bypass the broker? Because so, that's how it works in, in the food space, that, right? If you get in touch with the wholesaler, right. you, that's cash. That I, I'm bypassing the retailer. Yeah. I'm going to get a great deal. So we don't do that. No. We don't do that because we are not set up for what is known as point of sale support. Mm-hmm. We don't have advisors in the office that can go out and meet with clients. Mm-hmm. And uh, Baruch Hashem, my time is just, I've got plenty to do that would keep me from making myself available for those type of conversations. Uh, every now and then an advisor will call and say, hey, I'm selling this product. It's the first time I'm selling it. Mm-hmm. Can you get on the phone to help walk me through it? We'll do that. But we don't look to be front and center all the time. Uh, and as a rule, we won't do it. If somebody comes knocking, I'll sort of refer them to somebody in our roster of uh, brokers, depending on what it is they need. And quite frankly, if they insist on me being the person to handle their needs, it's going to fall by the wayside. Right. I just don't have the time to do it. Right. So let's backtrack. Why do people need life insurance? We're on an elevator. You have 90 seconds. There are people listening that know what life insurance is, have it, have different types, and we'll go into the different types. But for the listening audience that, you know, they're 21, 22 years old, maybe first kids on the way, why do they need life insurance? And what are the benefits of it? I think there's one word that sums it up right now, of course, which is COVID. I think prior to COVID, a lot of consumers, if you will, would not connect with idea on a very immediate level. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll, I'll just quote Rabbi Pesach Krohn. I was having conversations with him and also did, did a presentation with him on the topic uh, many months ago, courtesy of Rabbi Zone at uh, NASCK. And he made a great point, which is people don't realize, they think, well, this is never going to happen to me. It'll never happen to my family. What they don't realize is to the other person, you are the other person. And I think the point of it is, of course, it's more than just that one word of COVID. I'm just mentioning that word because I think that has brought, uh, brought it down to a much more local level and people realize the necessity of it and also that things can change on a dime. Mm. And pushing it off is not the right thing. To me, life insurance is about dignity. It's about dignity for the people you love. It's about dignity for your own children. Uh, It is, I can't even fathom to imagine what it means for young children to lose a parent Mm -hmm. or for a father to lose lose his wife, lose the mother of the family or, or, or the other way around. 
and I specifically bring up the mother because I'd like to address that hopefully later in our conversation, that women need life insurance as well, which is often overlooked. However, but let's think about the father who passes on prematurely, Chaz uh, Not only would they be compounding the terrible tzara they're in, the terrible tragedy, but now they're exposing their family to be at the mercy of strangers. Which we've seen a lot of Which we've recently, seen a lot right? Of, yes. The advance of the Raise It campaigns, the charity campaigns, that, and, and people are giving very much so to these campaigns when, when they're, and it's beautiful to see, but does it have to get to that point? So for sure, I, it, it definitely deserves to be acknowledged that people are giving just it's unbelievable amounts of money right. for tzedakah, right? Especially for Almanas and Yisayimim. However, I think what is often overlooked, I guess I'd say two things. One is, and we call the exact statistics, but during the height of COVID, there was somebody who brought all of these different campaigns onto one page mm-hmm. and sort of a tracker of all the different campaigns. Mm-hmm. I, I don't recall the exact amount, as I said, but I think he tracked just a crazy amount, like $24 million, an unreal amount of, uh, of money. Of community-funded um, of community money funded towards money towards, people. towards people's uh, families to help them uh, weather wow. the storm of losing a loved one. However, there are about 60 campaigns in that page. I have a calculator right now, but if you take the $24 million divided by 60, I think the average family walks away about 400000 or something in that range. I might be off. It's, it's within that range. That's barely enough to keep a from family afloat for right. any decent amount right. of time. And besides for the fact, as you said, and this is the second point that I'd like to make in this part of the conversation, I've said it in the past, I know some have said that it's, that maybe I'm a little uh, too extreme about it or it's controversial, mm-hmm. but I honestly think that some of the fundraisers out there and the way, I, I guess I'd say the way they're conducted uh, it is really a modern form of torture. Why so? Because never that they lost their father, and now we're putting them literally, or plastering the faces of the kids, and and and, and the family, uh, figuratively, uh, in all the main streets. Of course, we do it online on a WhatsApp mm-hmm. and social media apps. But ask any any responsible parent, would they ever want? the images of their kids to be used for the purpose of fundraising so their kids can be can stay in yeshiva, uh, the kids should be able to continue on in school, they should be able to make bar mitzvahs and, ba- and bas mitzvahs, they should be able to marry them off and just live a normal life. Would any parent want to do that? I think any normal thinking person would say, I would never want something like that to happen, and I would do whatever I can for that not to happen. What they often overlook is, well, there's a very simple solution to take care of that. Life insurance. Life insurance. Yeah. And it's not something that is exciting, uh, but it is critical to, I think, any fa- any responsible family when it comes to looking at it from the perspective of dignity, uh, perspective of responsibility, and really the perspective of, uh, uh, of smart financial planning. So you seeing behind-the-scenes stats, would you say the community right now or the Jewish, Orthodox Jewish communities are adequately adequately covered or not even close? I don't know if there's anyone that has accurate stats on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, 
I, I'll go to Semchas, of course, and a nice cousin or friend comes up to me and says, well, I bought this half a million dollars of term life insurance some 15 years ago. Do you think I need more? Or somebody will say, you know, I never got around to buying it. Maybe I, I think I should, I should get to it. And like thinking to myself, you've got five kids, you've got seven kids. This is the one thing you couldn't get around to take care of. Mm-hmm. To me, it's almost like a social exper- experiment because I don't go around selling directly anymore. But of course, people approach me. So from my own personal experience, I can positively share with you that there are young families, which is not surprising. They're just starting out. But what's even more concerning to me and surprising to me is there are plenty of people in their upper 30s, mid 40s, or young 50s mm-hmm. that either carry no life insurance or carry very minimal amount of it. What's minimal? How, and, and before we discuss what's minimal, can you just briefly describe the difference between whole and term life insurance for those who are unfamiliar with those? Sure. On a very basic level, think of term insurance almost as if you're renting an apartment. Right? You'll have a, a lease of two years, three years, five years, and then you've got to renew your lease. Permanent insurance is almost as if you'd be buying or owning the house. Permanent so is whole. Permanent is whole life insurance. Okay. There are other variations of it as well, but generally uh, often thought of as whole life insurance. Term insurance can be bought in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25, 30, or even a little bit longer. As uh, in the options, length of the policy. As in the length of the policy, okay. meaning that the price is locked in. So what you pay now is what you're going to pay for the duration of the policy term. And that could be 20 years, 30 years, in some instances, slightly longer than that. However, once the term is up, generally you can keep hold on to the policy. However, the premium is going to skyrocket. So somebody may own a 30-year term. They've been paying a couple of hundred or a couple of thousand over the course of those 30 years annually. And now suddenly it's jumping to 25, 100, $200,000. Uh, it just becomes an ex- extreme. Permanent insurance on the uh, on the other side, or whole life insurance, will have a steady premium, generally speaking. So yeah, you'll start off at a higher price point, but that price point won't change. And there are other benefits that come along with it, and if we can address that later on in our conversation. But on a very basic level, that would be the difference. And at the conclusion of that 30-year policy, you own that the, the amount of money that was sort of put away? When it so comes to in whole? term insurance, it would be similar to... Whole. I, I'm referring to whole. So like at the end of the 30 years, if someone would was to pass away... You essentially own the policy. So it, it's sort of like an investment. So I'm careful around using the word investment okay. in relationship to life insurance. Why is that? Uh, because often it is sold as an investment. I feel if it's sold strictly as an investment... Often, both the advisor and the consumer overlook the fact that there's a life insurance. It is a life insurance product primarily, mm-hmm. and there's a cost inherent into it, inherent with the product. And then they start comparing. Well, if I put five thousand or ten thousand in the whole life policy, versus putting that same amount into mutual fund or Bitcoin, it can grow so much faster. Right. It's not the but best. But what they investment. overlook is, well, you're buying an insurance policy, and our whole life insurance does have what they call a cash value account. And generally, it'll grow at a very conservative, modest rate. Uh, To me, it is similar to uh, if you would be sitting with your financial planner and talking about, hey, I can invest $1,000 a month towards whatever future goal. Or maybe you're in a position to invest $10,000 a month. Mm -hmm. Or you've got $100,000 that you'd like to invest right now. No 
professional financial planner would advise you to put everything into one particular investment, right? They mm -hmm. would sit with you. They would do a financial uh, a financial needs analysis. They would understand what your risk tolerance is, what your goals are, what your budget, what your capability is, uh, or ab ability, and then come devise a plan that is custom tailored to your needs. And based on that, well, they'll put 20% in this type of allocation, 20% in another type of allocation, and split it so it meets your risk tolerance and objectives. To me, permanent life insurance, whole life insurance, is should be part of somebody's asset mix or per, their portfolio. So just like uh, a lot of folks understand that bonds is a good thing to have mm -hmm. when appropriate, there's also, a, there's also a place for permanent whole life insurance in that allocation mix. Uh, but I wouldn't look at it purely as an investment vehicle. Gotcha. Okay, so someone understands the difference between whole and term. There, let's use that 21-year-old example. He's married, kid on the way. Should he have had life insurance already? At what age should he be getting life insurance? So if I can, I'd like to share a story that I had personally we love with, stories. Go ahead. with the Mashkiyach Ramatis Yoi Solomon. Okay. The Gesund. So many years ago, I was invited to come and discuss something of personal nature with him. And of course, he asked me as we started a conversation, what do you do? And I told him I'm in the life insurance business. And then we get into whatever is the meeting was about. And when we're done, he says, I'd like to talk to you about your business for a minute. And I sort of give him the look. Well, the meeting wasn't about business. <laughs> What's on your mind, so to speak? Of course, I didn't phrase it that way. And he says, I'd like to share a story with you. And he says, recently, a younger man came over to him and asked him if he needs to buy life insurance. And so he told him, not only do you need to buy life insurance, but one day... Between Menchemarev, you should get up on the Bima and Shul and take out the contract and sort of read the contract to the Oilam and Shul. Because buying life insurance is part of our commitment when we get married in the Kosova. And that's what the Meshgiach told me. Now, on a practical level, there are different life events that will trigger the need for life insurance. Now, thus far, we're focused on the family, but of course, there are uh, uh, business needs for strategic uh, uh, needs for, for life insurance, so we can get into that soon. But I would think as soon as somebody gets married, mm -hmm. um, they need to start looking for life insurance. So does that exclude single people? Gener Someone who's 30 years old, um, single, is life insurance something they should have in their mind and seek out? So as I said, we were generally first focused on the family aspect right. of it. But a single person may have a desire to leave a legacy, a charitable legacy. They'd like to leave a legacy for a yeshiva or some institution they're involved in. They might, that might be a need for a single person to buy life insurance. Uh, single, piece, single individuals may want to buy term life insurance to lock in what is known as their insurability. And maybe we skipped over that. So somebody who owns term life insurance has something that's known as a conversion privilege. And if and when they're ready to upgrade based on their needs to a whole life policy, they would not have to go through the medical underwriting process again. Uh, so, those are a lot of buzzwords right there. You know, sure. to the listening audience, what does that mean? Good. It's a part of the process of purchasing life insurance involves something that is known as underwriting. Okay. Now, in underwriting, essentially, the insurance company conducts an interview, if you will, of okay. the applicant, and they decide, is this somebody that we are willing to insure? And they... They do blood work. They, they generally do that assessment based on either current medical 
status or prior medical history. And uh, blood work is something that, of course, is often part of the process. However, for the past several years, and this was accelerated during COVID, there are plenty of options where consumers can buy life insurance without any blood work. And Isn't that, that a risk on, on the insurance company's side? Good. So let me address that, which is it's not meant to skirt the system. It, it's not like the insurance company is turning a blind eye to anything. Mm-hmm. They do a massive amount of digital underwriting. So they get to access databases uh, such as laboratory history. Mm-hmm. So if you've been to, if you've had lab work done in your adult life, it's almost impossible that you've not interacted with Quest Laboratories. Insur- life insurance companies have access to all of Quest laboratory's database so they wow. will reference that automatically they also looked at they also look at prescription history mm-hmm. so if somebody goes to a doctor doctor prescribes any medication that needs to be filled in the pharmacy once it's filled in the pharmacy that will be registered on a prescription database that insurance companies have access to so there are others as well the point though is that even without the blood work they get a pretty good view of what's really happening to what of what the situation really is with the person applying for insurance. So there, uh, and I just want to be clear about this part that although there are plenty of options to buy life insurance without blood work or without an exam, as it's traditionally known, two parts: a, it doesn't mean they'll pay more because they could still get those policies if they qualify at the best available rates. Mm-hmm. The other important thing, as I mentioned earlier, this is not designed to take a shortcut. And it is not what is often referred to as guaranteed issue or, hey, person has this problem, let's just sneak them into this program. The underwriting is pretty thorough, even though they don't send somebody to your house to actually do a blood work. So it's designed for healthy individuals. Healthy individuals can get life insurance today without exam, and often the turnaround time is very quick. And what do you recommend to people, term or whole, permanent? So I get that question all the time. Like, do I buy term or do I buy whole life? Or how much insurance do I buy? And some people buy both, right? And some people buy both. So to me, it is really understanding your client. What are their needs? Time horizon, risk tolerance, and what's their budget? Give it without saying any names. Give us... uh person that has approached you in the past, his scenario, sure. and what you advised him based on sure. that. So recently, the recent case, I guess just a couple of weeks ago, and this comes to my mind right now, a uh, gentleman, I think in his young 30s, mm-hmm. uh, I think he's got two kids, reached out to me. He had been given advice one way, and just because I know him, he checked with me if this is the right approach. And so I asked him about his family needs, about his own concerns, and what his budget is. And what we ended up with is that he probably would want to have 1.5 million of life insurance. That means for the listening audience, if someone, if something was to happen to him, the insurance company would pay his family 1.5 million dollars. Okay. However, because of his budget constraints or whatever he, he felt comfortable allocating to this purchase or to tackle this problem, if you will, we came up with the idea of buying 20-year term of a million and another half a million of 30-year term. So I was able to show him a way to get 1.5 million, but also keep another half a million that would stay on for 
an extended even extended period of time past 20 years. So they were both term policies? They're both term policies. So you can layer term policies. You can buy, let's say if somebody has a budget of X and they need $2 million of insurance, they can buy, let's say for their younger kids, they'll buy the 10 year, they'll buy a 30 year policy. Mm -hmm. For their middle aged kids, maybe they'll buy a 20 year policy. And for their older kids, maybe they'll buy a 10 year policy to keep them covered. And do you recommend people buying policies for their kids? So let me rephrase it, meaning while they have this age group of kids at home. Oh, okay, fine. Right, so it's not policies on their kids, on their it's kids. policies they would buy themselves while they have this age group of, uh, of children so at home. So why doesn't he just buy 1.5 million? Why, why two different policies? Okay. Would it be more costly? So 30 years of 1.5 million would have been outside of his budget. Okay. And uh, the 20 year 1.5 wouldn't have given him the protection that he felt his family would need past the 20 year cutoff. Okay. So by splitting it, we were able to cover uh, the younger kids for a longer period, so to speak, while they're at home. And then the older kids, he felt more comfortable that hopefully they'll get married, they'll go ahead and build their own their own families and their own parnasa that he didn't felt feel as that is as big as a necessity. So for those two policies, what was his annual um, cost? So this particular individual, I think both policies will end up costing him about $900 annually. So for $900 a year, if something, God forbid, was to happen to him in year seven, his family would see $1.5 million. That's correct. Is that taxable when the family gets that? No. Is so that... life insurance proceeds distributions mm -hmm. are generally not taxable. Uh-huh. So in that example, you discussed an expense of about $900 towards the life insurance policies. Is that the average? What would you say if someone's thinking about um, getting life insurance, they have a family, a few kids, what would you say they have to start allocating towards that annually for a decent-sized policy for the next 30 years? So I would like to think that for most families, hopefully, buying term life insurance is going to be a no-brainer for them. It's not going to be well, I'm going to allocate 2% or 5% of, my, of, of their total uh, living expenses or budget to it. Uh, generally, they're very economical. And I can address specific numbers in just a moment. They're generally very economical and um, easily affordable. So I don't know that I would look at it from... I'm just pulling up my computer to quickly look at exact numbers. But I don't know that I would look at it from the perspective of how much are they, should they spend or will they spend... Rather, I would look at it, how much life insurance do they need? And often they will be surprised by how cost effective it is. So for example, if we were to have a 25 year old male mm -hmm. looking to buy a million dollars of 20 year term life insurance, they can buy it for as little as like $32 a month. $32 a month. Which hopefully for most people it's insignificant. And- It's like a dollar a day. It's, it's like a dollar a day is right. Wow. And I think what is often overlooked in our business is basic term life insurance is extremely affordable. I think it's cheaper than what people uh, would think it would cost. It is easier to get because we were discussing earlier that life insurance today can be gotten without exams. Mm -hmm. And there is really no reason for somebody to shy away from it. What would you say as the ideal length of the policy for someone in their 20s and 30s? Is it 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? 
Because if they were to do a 10-year policy, they would be right back to where they started Very quickly. after 10 years. Yes. Yeah. Ideally, they should buy a 30-year term. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for most of our audience, we have serious commitments to our children, even after they get married. Mm-hmm. So even if we go 30 years, is a very long time down the road. Well, it isn't. That time passes pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And soon enough, you've got married couples that are off to... Kola, Ertisra, Lakewood, or, or wherever it is uh, they get to, and often the parents are still financially responsible for them. Uh, the other part to it is, you'd asked earlier about whole life versus term insurance, and often people think, well, all I need is term insurance to cover this stage of my life. Mm-hmm. What they don't realize is, is that whole life insurance could be essential for them later on in their life as well, because Think of Chazor Khalil Anamana, who lost her husband, maybe at age 65. All the kids are married. And maybe her husband was worked in an office job mm-hmm. or was a Rebbe. Had a respectful position during his lifetime. He earned money to carry them over, but never got around to being able to fund a retirement account. Or never got around to be able to really save for later on in life. In that scenario, the surviving spouse would be at the mercy of her own children. Wouldn't it be so much more respectful for her to be able to live on in dignity herself Mm -hmm. and be in charge of her own financial affairs and not have to, even if their children are very respectful about it, but still, why would you want anybody to be in that position? So that's one part. The other part to it is, is that permanent life insurance or whole life insurance often has additional lifetime benefits. So we were discussing the investment slash savings cash value component of it. Additionally, it also has benefits that could help cover the cost of, let's say, long-term care costs. So God forbid if somebody is in a matzav where they need assistance, either they need to be placed in a nursing home temporarily or, or for an extended period of time, or they need 24 hours around the clock care at home, most life insurance policies today would allow for the benefit to be accelerated to pay for that. Mm. So having permanent insurance gives somebody a lot more than just the life insurance coverage. The other thing it does, and this is something that I've heard from Tom Hegner, who's like a guru in, 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 in our business, is... Clients should die cash poor and life insurance rich. And essentially what that is, a lot of people think about, okay, we'd love to leave Chamiankel with 100000 and 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 the other kid, Sarah, with another 100000 and they want to leave 20000 for the grandchildren. And so they skimp and scrape throughout their retirement life mm-hmm. to be able to fund that because they want to leave this legacy. Or maybe they want to leave $100,000 to their shul. Instead of doing that, they can buy life insurance and live a more comfortable lifestyle because the life insurance can take care of all of those needs. You can allocate where the money should go after one passes away prior. Absolutely. So in every life insurance application, clients identify who they want as the beneficiary of the proceeds of the policy. So who should people put as their beneficiaries? So generally, they would put their their spouse. Mm Mm-hmm. 
that that the, the spouse would generally be the primary beneficiary. Mm -hmm. They would often list their children as the contingent beneficiaries. Uh, if there are other purposes for the purchase of life insurance, for example, if somebody were to buy it because their business just took out a loan from the bank and the bank is asking them to get life insurance so that they would be covered in the event of the borrower not, not being around to pay it, well, the bank would be the beneficiary. Or if they're business partnerships, often they would buy life insurance to help fund the eventual buyout of the business from one partner to the other. And of course, there would be different beneficiary arrangements in those type of transactions. And also, of course, if the policies were to be trust-owned, but I think that takes us out of, uh, of sort of the, the, the the, the, the legal conversation that we're having right now, that would involve sophisticated and, and more technical legal planning. That could be a business expense for a business that buys life insurance to cover a cost of, God forbid, if a business partner passes away? Good question. They, generally speaking, life insurance purchases by businesses are not tax deductible. Mm -hmm. The only ones that are would be some type of employee benefits, and I think we should talk about employee benefits as well if we have uh, if we can sure, let's get that it. in. Uh, but yeah, generally life insurance premiums are not tax deductible. They are in some instances of employee benefits and in some instances of combining life insurance ownership with retirement planning. Uh, but that I think again gets into a very sort of technical conversation. In terms of employee benefits, what I wanted to address is, and I don't know if, if, if you were going to ask this question, but one of the questions we get often is, what do we do if a client has a serious medical condition? What if we do if a client is uninsurable? So I'd like to address the question in two ways. So one is if the person's uninsurable, well, if they're in the individual marketplace, sadly, there's not a lot that can be done. There are what is known as final expense policies, and you can get some coverage, maybe 25000 50000 even for clients that are uninsurable, but that's a minimum amount. However, for clients or prospects that, or individuals that work in larger companies, 10 employees or more, they don't have to be that big, 10 employees or more, the corporation could buy a group policy that would have no medical questions. Mm -hmm. And the cost for group policies are generally bupkis. Obviously, depending on the size of the company, there would be different various amounts of insurance they can buy. The larger the company is, the more guaranteed issue, meaning guaranteed issue without any medical questions, they can buy. However, I also want to address clients that have either existing medical conditions or prior medical conditions and maybe focus on clients that often feel uncomfortable talking about uh, maybe medications they're taking, or maybe they're facing a challenge of anxiety or even depression. Most of those individuals can get life insurance coverage unless it's a severe case where the, piece, the, the, the person has been uh, hospitalized for an extended period of time and so on. But if the client leads what we call normal life, so to speak, right? They have a family, they're employed, uh, but they take um, the medication for whatever it is that they're dealing with their life, but it is considered to be uh, well-controlled. Generally, all of those, generally people that fall into that category can get life insurance. Mm -hmm. Now, I, of course, I understand the sensitivity, uh, the nature of this conversation. And one of the ways that clients could deal with it is by asking their agent to either discuss it with a manager 
a general agent, somebody who's like a trusted third disinterested party, so to speak, mm-hmm. and they would be able to assist them uh, in getting the coverage they need. Remember in 1980 when the only promo item was a mug or like a coffee? You know, they had those like coffee mugs with the logo or a T-shirt that says uh, all I got was it's become much more than that. And if you think about the, all the thank you Hashem swag running around, that all came or most of it at least came from FAO printing. I'm not wearing my T-shirt now, but I have long sleeve T-shirts. I have um, short sleeve T-shirts. I have these gorgeous caps, um, front and back embroidery. Beautiful job done by FAO Printing. Great price, great quality. The full nine yards. Is it the whole nine yards? Whatever it is, they'll give it to you all. Um, Tell them the guys at Kosher Money sent you. I know you're thinking about it now. You're like, yeah, I do have a business. I don't really... Reach out to them. Ask them to send you all the things that they can create for your company. It's worth it. It's beautiful. You can order 12 at a time. Um, They have great pricing. Look them up. FAO Printing. Pinny at FAOprinting.com. Someone shared with me that there are schools that ask parents to get life insurance if, God forbid, something would happen to them. Right, because if something would happen to them, the schools would be in a position where they would need to continue educating the children. Right, they can't just throw them out on the street. Is that something you've seen? And should parents be encouraged or even forced to get a life insurance policy as a result? So to me, that's like music to my ears, because I think that that's a phenomenal idea, and I've brought this idea up to many. Uh, individuals that are concerned with this topic on a communal level from Baltimore to Lakewood to Muncie to Farrakaway to Williamsburg Borough Park mm-hmm. and we've we've discussed this vigorously. Most people feel that that's taking it a step too far. To force them. To force them. However, pretty much everybody that drives an automobile in the United States carries auto insurance. It's not always because they want it, because without it, they can't drive the vehicle, right? Mm -hmm. However, when it comes to life insurance, there's really no policeman, so to speak, who says, hey, stop. You can't get married without life insurance. Or you can't send your tzadikal to to yeshiva today because you don't have life insurance. Now, I think forcing them, I don't know if it's a step too far, it's probably something that's not something that's going to be implemented. It could just be a line item However, in the tuition exactly. statement, if right? It's, well, I don't, that, that gets into a different aspect, angle of it, but I do think it could be a legitimate question on a registration form. What, is that, what does the question look like? So the question looks like, do you have life insurance? And if for nothing else, at least somebody outside of the insurance community, so to speak, uh-huh. is prompting them to think about it. And I think what the way you, you phrase the question, or, or I guess explain why the yeshiva would care about it is because chaz v'chalil, God forbid, if something were to happen, somebody's going to have to foot the bill for those kids. Uh-huh. And if it can be done, as we were discussing, with dignity, that's the optimal way to do it. And, of course, if we can also show them how easy it is and how affordable it is, uh-huh. there's really no excuse not to get it. So to me, the idea of yeshiva's administrations, administrators getting involved in it, to me, that's a brilliant idea. Have you and seen it? Have you heard of it? I have not seen it. We've uh-huh. discussed it at length, but I've not seen mm-hmm. I'm personally not aware of, of uh, any one yeshiva or school actually implementing it, but 
definitely that would be music to my ears, and I think it would be the right thing to do. A recent study estimates that a mom's salary is well over $100,000, and they're working over 90 hours a week. Do you recommend that mothers who may not be the breadwinners in their family get life insurance too? So just for clarity, are we talking about mothers that are often commonly referred to as stay-at-home moms, or are we talking about women that work outside of the house? Let's or do have both. Let's job? start with stay-at-home moms. Okay. So stay-at-home moms, you said over 100,000. There's a study, I think, jobs or .com or one of these um, websites that aggregate or, or these numbers. I think they put that number actually at about 162,000. Oh, there was a raise somewhere in between. Somewhere my was a raise and that. somewhere yeah. in between, right. So, of course, just like we understand that the primary breadwinner uh, not only they have responsibilities, but they contribute financially to the family, which is if something were to happen to them, there would be that void. Well, if mom's not around, well, of course, when I, it, it would be an understatement to talk about the catastrophe, what that means to, uh, 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 to what it means to lose a mother. We're not, we're not discussing that. We're looking at it from the financial angle. Mm-hmm. Well, they would have to hire help. Not only would they have to hire help, but maybe they would have to leave work earlier, mm-hmm. the surviving parent. Well, so what that means is, well, now they're earning less money because of that. Right. Uh, often, children that in, the, in that environment, well, maybe they need access to different special programs. Uh, or maybe if dad's not around all the time, well, they're going to need certain activities or what have you. All of that adds on additional expenses. And so definitely, so women that stay at home and they're, Mothers, that's their primary responsibility and focus. Absolutely. It, it is often overlooked when advisors or clients don't think about them needing life insurance. Mm. Now, and of course, women that are in the workforce, I know what the statistics are, but I would think a very big part of our communities rely on the income of both parents. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, then she's just as fair game as he is for life insurance. So a stay-at-home mom, what policy would you recommend? Perhaps not as expensive as the breadwinner? So this goes back to one of the questions we were discussing earlier, which is, to me, it is always about what are their needs and what's their budget. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've discussed, like, how do we figure out what they need? And maybe let's get into that. But to me, I never like answering. There's no cookie-cutter answer in my book. Mm-hmm. And it's not, well, you, everybody gets term life insurance or everybody gets this type of insurance or everybody gets this amount of insurance. No, I don't think that's the appropriate way to look at it. To me, it's really understanding their needs, their goals, and their budget, and let's figure out a way to met, to meet all of those objectives. That makes sense. So how does someone access policies? I, I've seen ads for them. That, you know, you ask anyone, they say, oh, yeah, I recommend an agent. How do you know that you're speaking to the best agent, getting the best deal, why is one insurance broker better than another one? What should people look out for? And to piggyback, to piggyback off that, how do you? what are some red flags if you are speaking to a broker that, hey, maybe stay away from this particular broker? So I think globally speaking, most brokers, advisors, or agents that I know are well-educated. Mm-hmm. They are focused on their client's needs. They're concerned with making sure that their client gets what it is that they need uh, for their family's financial security and generally do a very fine job at what they do. Well, the first thing is if they don't listen to your needs, that's your first red flag. 
to me, right? So if they jump the gun, so to speak, and I say, hey, this is what your neighbor got, hopefully they don't name the neighbor, but mm-hmm. if they just generally say, well, this is what everybody in this community is getting, you should get the same thing. Well, is there HIPAA compliance, by the way? Of course there's HIPAA compliance. Uh-huh. You can't share there, any. You can't share any of that. And right. any uh, professional in our business that's uh, it's sort of worth their salt obviously would be confidential. Mm-hmm. If they're not, then, of course, that's another red flag, right? If they say, hey, Ellie just bought this. Well, I don't know that I want to talk to you again. Right, right, right. right. So, of course, no, not only is there HIPAA compliance, there's confidentiality and they've got to be very careful. Right. They can't share that type of information. I was just saying just that if they say, well, if everybody in this chill gets this type of insurance, you right. should get the same thing. Well, it's that's probably... That's a problem. That's a problem. So definitely you want to see some. You want... You'd like to have somebody who understands your needs. I would also say that you want somebody who comes back to you with two or three options. And they say, well, this option is going to be in this... Uh, let's say, call it in this um, pricing tier, and it would give you this type of benefit. So mm-hmm. maybe it's a combination of term insurance and whole life insurance. And the second option may be a different sort of design, and third option maybe would be a more economical one, mm-hmm. and or maybe it would be a selection of different companies. Uh, so that's sort of how I would approach it, without references. Now, ideally, you're there uh, when somebody reaches out to you. There's some awareness about the person. Uh, they are perceived to be a stand-up professional in in, in our business, uh, or they've been referred to you. Mm-hmm. And we live in generally, I think most of our audience probably lives in a very close-knit community, and most of us know the life insurance agents uh, in our community. In terms of access, you said that you've seen ads um, for life insurance. Well, if, well, you can definitely check those out. Uh, You'd probably be better off asking a friend or a few friends who they've used, and and they're happier because that's closer to home, and their their referral and word of mouth means a lot more than just vetting some sort of print ad you might have seen, right? Generally, generally. Well, print ads often serve the serve the need uh, of brand awareness or or name recognition, Mm -hmm. and if you've seen somebody who's been around for a long time, and that probably will help. build some sort of trust factor uh, but I would say that most of it is, is really relationship based you might we meet with someone and feel a connection or or not enjoy meeting that person maybe that's not the right fit for you is health insurance more important than life insurance so I'm not sure I and I come from a, a, a people who don't have unlimited salaries right. and they don't have income and and they can't you know the same way they're making decisions in terms of what they can purchase, it comes down to it. They look in the insurance category. They have X hundreds of dollars that they can allocate on a monthly basis. Right. Should health come first? I don't know that the question is a, a, a legitimate question because it's sort of apples and oranges, but I do get what you're saying. Look, if they think about in their insurance column, so to speak, mm-hmm. on their budget, well, how much can I afford to allocate towards insurance? Now, how do I pick what type of insurance coverage takes precedence or takes priority. But why is it apples for, and oranges? It, it's it, because they, they don't the, have they don't have the money for, I get for it, but all the products, types of insurance. The products are very different. It's not, they have very distinct different type of coverages. It's not, well, should I get life insurance or should I get boat insurance? Well, if I have a boat, then obviously I'm concerned about it. Of course, I'm not trying to make light of it. No, that's okay. Except for 
that what I would say is for people that have limited means, they probably have access to Medicaid. There is no type of real subsidy that would provide life insurance. Uh-huh. So let's 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 swap the question. What about disability income insurance versus life insurance? So disability income insurance, if someone is working and has a seventy thousand dollars salary, they can pay X thousand per year. So if God forbid something happens to them and they're out of work, that the insurance company will supplement um, that income. Disability income insurance versus Life, life insurance. insurance. So that's a little closer to my sort of world, if you will, to okay. some extent. And in, in those scenarios, what I tell clients and advisors who reach out to us and ask us to help them design uh, an insurance plan or component of the financial plan is instead of buying a whole life policy, you'd probably be better off by buying term life insurance and a disability insurance policy. And the other thing with disability insurance is, as with anything else, there's like a Toyota Camry model that works beautifully, mm-hmm. but a lot of people like to upgrade. They like the Lexus, right? Mm-hmm. Disability insurance at its core is a very affordable product. Uh, if you sort of load it up with the nice bells and whistles of features, it, it can become pricier. However, basic good Disability insurance, generally for clients, let's say from their mid-20s all the way to their upper 30s, they're probably spending about a little over 1%, maybe 1.5% of their income on buying disability insurance. So let's say if they earn $100,000, mm-hmm. they're probably spending between 1000 to 1500 annually for basic disability coverage. Mm-hmm. Of course, if we were to layer on some of the options, it could get closer to 2 or 3% of the income. But in a very basic level, definitely, uh, in my book, that takes priority over, because we're talking about life insurance, over whole life insurance. So I would suggest that both advisors and consumers think about buying term insurance and disability insurance before they buy that whole life policy. Is the community, the Orthodox Jewish community, not adequately covered when it comes to disability income insurance? There's definitely a lot less disability insurance sold in our communities relative to to life insurance. I don't think a lot of people know about it. I mean, I, I only found out, and maybe I'm in the minority, I only found out about it Three, four years ago, I purchased some, and then I was like, you know, maybe I should focus more on my life insurance and reallocate that money there. Um, but I didn't hear about it until so, then. So just a quick quick story. So many years ago, while I was, I started out as a life insurance agent, right, not in the role that I have right now. And I was referred by one of my customers to a friend of his mm-hmm. who wanted to talk about investments. All right. I was involved in selling mutual funds and, and different security-based products. And great, I thanked him for the introduction. We set a time to meet. And as the meeting starts, this fellow says, if you're going to talk about life insurance, then let's not even start. Mm. We're talking about investments. Don't tell me that whole life insurance is the investment product I need to buy. And I said, look, you wanted to talk about li- investments? We'll talk about investments. And we get into this whole conversation about asset allocation, different type of mutual funds, uh, IRAs versus 401k. Does this employer give him a 401k match or not? And we spend a good 35, 40 minutes and answer all of his questions. At the end of it, I say, can I ask you one insurance question? And he sort of gives me the look, right? Uh, so everything you just said, you're just going to fry the window because we're going to talk about life insurance. And I asked, do you have paycheck protection? And he's like, what's paycheck protection? I said, what were to happen 
God forbid, if you can't show up to work mm -hmm. because of an illness, a dis an accident, injury, what if you were to be kept out of the workforce for one year, two years, or God forbid, an even more extended uh, period of time? He thinks about it and he says, you know what? You're the third person I'm meeting with. And everybody's trying to pitch me on this whole life insurance policy. And again, as we've said earlier, I, I, I whole life definitely has a place. But what he was telling me is, I want to talk about investments. Everybody's trying to steer me in this other direction. But none of them cared about what were to happen if I lose my income. You're the first one who asked about my income. Mm -hmm. So he says, well, how much does it cost? And we start working through the numbers and sort of, well, this option or this option. And then I tell him, oh, by the way, you're working for a large employer. If you get two of your colleagues to also buy, all of you get a discount. And this is done independently of the employer as long as they work for one for one entity they don't need the employer to sponsor it. they can employees can sort of get together and do it on their own and, and it's cheaper it's cheaper it would be, it there would be a 10 to 15 percent discount mm. on the product live the product he said you know i'd love to do it but i this is you've just explained the importance of it i'd like to take care of this right away i've got a family with kids and let me take it right away how much time do i have to bring two of my friends colleagues to also get this guy he said you've got six months to do it and so he, t he literally asked me for an application. Within a couple of days, we got his policy done. He followed through and got me, got, got me two other of his friends to buy disability insurance. And all of them got the discount, and I got several referrals out of that. The moral of it is, you asked what type of agent do you want to work with. You mm -hmm. want to work with an agent that is concerned with your needs mm -hmm. and not just trying to sell a product to you. And by virtue of training... There are several insurance companies that don't have their own disability insurance policy. Mm -hmm. So therefore, they don't train their agents to talk about it. Uh, the other part to it is often agents are brought into this business and they think, well, I can make so much money in selling a big life insurance policy, thinking that disability the average premium of disability insurance policy is less. However, what they often overlook is that disability insurance solidifies client relationships more so than life insurance. And it actually pays the highest annual recurring renewal of any insurance product they can sell mm. for the life of the product. So even though up front it looks like uh, the average premium is lower, well, over the lifetime you're going to make a lot more money by selling disability insurance. And it, it's, the, it's the right thing to do. That's the most important part of this. For people looking for um, high-paying salaries or jobs that have potential, earnings potential, do you guide people into a career? of selling life insurance so we're at this at the moment we're not involved in recruiting new uh, but advice advisors. to people advice to people um, but sure i often get called on and asked well is this the right field or which insurance company to go with i have those conversations but we are not in the business of actively recruiting uh people into this in, into our business as a career uh of course we hire people administratively and operationally but not on the sales side in that sense but of course there are plenty of from from uh agencies throughout the united states be it here in new york or out in texas or los angeles or in chicago where uh, from individuals that f feel a connection to this conversation can definitely explore that understood i want to play for you a voice note from a friend who had a question it touched on an item that you had already discussed but Let's hear what he has to say. His name is Ari, and we'll go from there. I was actually wondering why, I guess, an umbrella Jewish organization never put together a group 
plan. Like, why can't we, like, for example, I was looking into disability insurance. So for life insurance, actually, I do know my way around it pretty well. Um, for, for example, something like disability insurance, I, which I, you're more likely to become disabled than you are to die, um, the rates are very high. However, if I did it through my work, and just like one other person, one other employee did it or something like that, um, the rates dropped, I think, by like 25 or 30 percent. Um, same thing with health insurance. With health insurance, the Department, New York City Department of Education was able to offer, I'm still on COBRA, I'm still paying COBRA, I'm spending, I don't know, uh, $2,600 a month on, on health insurance. But it's a killer plan, and it's accepted everywhere, so, I've, so I keep paying it. But I guess the question is, is why haven't any major Jewish organizations put together, I guess, some sort of a buying group um, and collectively, so that way we can all crowdsource and collectively negotiate um, cheaper health, health insurance rates, cheaper life insurance rates, cheaper disability insurance rates. Okay, so that's the question. So, well, Ari had a lot of good questions, a lot of good points, and touched on a lot of different uh, subjects. Something we've actually approached just a minute, sure. uh, um, yeah. discussed just a minute ago about the discount on disability insurance, and obviously he, he's aware of that as well. I think I'd like to focus on two things that uh, Ari is asking. One is, why isn't there a buying group, so to speak, I think, as he put it? And also, what can be done? So in the world of insurance, the regulations or the law does not allow for discounting of life insurance by any sort of association where the primary purpose is negotiating insurance rates. Uh, also, generally speaking, in order to get discounted rates or underwriting that, that is either guaranteed issue or does not, or asks a limited set of medical questions, there would have to be an employee-employer relationship. So a school, well, they've got employees. A company, as we discussed earlier, they have employees. So they can definitely get together. And I don't know so much as bargain for discount rates because it's generally not available, although within certain exceptions it might be, uh, it would be impossible to do it with the way things are structured right now. So if they are part of a company, they can do it, where there's an employee-employer relationship. If they are part of uh, some type of professional associations, like the CPAs, mm -hmm. they've got access to a pretty decent group life insurance policy. Uh, attorneys... What about those, memberships of the Aguda? Members that, of the Bar Association enough? would also have access. The Aguda, I think, and we're not singling them out, the Aguda primarily would be deemed as an association for and a purpose of religious mm -hmm. activities. And, and again, we're not directly singling them out, but they would generally not. However, there are other organizations. Mm -hmm. and I don't know if we should throw names out because we're not trying to corner anybody here, but I would mention, let's say, something like Torah and Soro. Mm -hmm. And again, we're not, this is not about them, but just conceptually. Mm -hmm. I would think Torah and Sora, they would be in a perfect position, actually, to help get all Rebbeim and teachers access to, if not so much discounted life insurance, but guaranteed issue life insurance, because all of the Rebbeim, Moras, teachers that are members in Torah and Sora, they're members of a legitimate professional association. Mm -hmm. They will probably be able to develop something over there. Uh, in Lakewood, Base Medrash Gavoa, mm -hmm. there was somebody uh, who 
worked very hard and came up with a pretty creative way of finding a way to get Jungerlight to participate in life insurance programs. Uh, he actually, they actually got Trenton, right, the capital in New Jersey, to change one of the insurance laws to enable that, which is pretty interesting. However, something that is also true is that most of the group plans have limited limited amounts of coverage. So they'll offer 150,000, 250, 300, 500, you're pushing it. In some instances where companies purchase, and we've seen them go as high as a million, there's some ways where you can get slightly more than that. However, many families need more than that. Or if they can only get 250 at work, often they say, oh, well, I already have life insurance, and they sort of check the box off, right. but in fact, they don't have adequate life insurance. Right. So it might actually be a disservice to them. However, going back to maybe tying this to the earlier conversation about schools asking or demanding uh, in parents buy life insurance, there has been a lot of conversation, especially during COVID and since COVID. And there are limitations to what can be done, as we just discussed. However, there has been creativity. And I'd give a shout out to a shul in Borough Park, Morat Villa, mm-hmm. where there are and a working committee of Balabatim and the shul got together and consulted with a lot of people. I was also part of that conversation and actually helped them put together, I think, a pretty creative plan. I think it would be outside the scope of our conversation to get into technicalities of it. But what I was very impressed with over there is they came together by Achdes. The Rav understood the necessity of it. He asked everybody to come together one evening for the topic of life insurance. I don't think there are too many Rabbanim that have done that. I think if more would, there would be a greater awareness of not only the need, but the fact that life insurance, if it ha- it's not obvious from our conversation until this point, life insurance is not a luxury. It's not an accessory. It's not a nice thing to have. Of course, I'm in, I'm in this business, but in my eyes, it's a must-have. Mm. And by having more Abonim get up and actually do what this rough did in Marat Villa, I think more consumers would connect with it. But one more thing that I would add to this is, why don't more individuals have life insurance? And what might surprise you is it is generally not profitable or exciting for a life insurance agent to go and sell a term life insurance policy because the average premium is going to be about $700 annually. annually. Think about all of the rejections they get along the way until they get to that one client, Mm -hmm. about all the canceled meetings, about all the cute jokes that people give them along the way Mm -hmm. as they make their way to that sale, right? Sounds agonizing. Yeah, it is agonizing. So in our business, I've been trained, and maybe this carries over to other industries as well, there's like a 10-3-1 rule or 130-10 rule, meaning you'll reach out to 100 people, you'll meet with 30, you'll close 10. Mm-hmm. So think about all. Think about the number of people they have to call on to sell that one-term life insurance mm-hmm. policy. So what's the motivation behind it? Because for every couple of term insurance policies, they'll get to sell a pretty large one, which will sort of pay for all of the agony that they have to get through along the way. And so to, to sort of connect it back to Ari's question is if we can encourage communal support from outside of the industry – where people come together, and maybe there's a kiosk that gets set up in front of a shul. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's a life insurance week. Well, this week, this Gahila, everybody's going to focus on life insurance. I think that will change the dialogue. I think that will change it. The other thing is, I know we'll probably get towards the end of our interview, so I, I'll just Go for it, yeah. add another couple of items to this. 
is an idea that I put out there in public months ago, which is almost insurance agents signing sort of a commitment to customers where they say, you know, during the first 12 to 18 months, we're focused strictly on getting you covered for the purpose of protection. Let's not talk about cash value. We're not going to talk about investments or savings. Let's focus on the life insurance need. So I think over there right away, we'll remove a certain level of intimidation mm -hmm. that a lot of consumers feel when they interact. I don't, not necessarily only, only with life insurance agents, but the example I like to use, and I, I don't have any ax to grind with people in the, in the auto mechanic business, but I know when I, if I need to take my car to an auto body shop, it's like a scary experience to yeah, me. Sure. But at the same time, I realize if my car were to break down, I can't drive it into the bakery, right? The baker can't fix my car. Right. I have to deal with the mechanic. Same thing over here. You might not like the life insurance agent, but they're an integral part of what we do uh, in, in community life. And back to what I was saying about these commitments. So they shouldn't be talking about permanent life insurance or, whole, or commonly known as whole life insurance in the first year of that relationship. Mm -hmm. They should talk about disability insurance before they speak about whole life insurance. Mm -hmm. And also they should commit to never selling above a certain percentage threshold of a person's income relative to premium. And maybe a threshold is at 150000 200000 where it changes afterwards. Now, of course, there are exceptions right. and there are different needs. But I think if agents would subscribe to this idea, I think consumers would feel a lot more comfortable reaching out to them. And the fact that what would happen is Instead of them having to go through this funnel of 130, 10, mm -hmm. well, maybe this funnel lot turns into 160 and 30. Mm -hmm. So they actually get to sell more clients. And what is also true is that the average, this could be interesting to you or anybody listening, the average consumer, they purchase life insurance about five to six times during the course of their life. Mm -hmm. So by coming into that conversation early on and doing it right, well, hey, Mr. Advisor, you've just set up a client meaning a client that has not just a value for this one transaction, but there's a lifetime value to this client because they'll, if you do your job right, they'll come back and buy again. They will be happy to refer you. So to me, it's the focus is on doing the job right. I know we have, most of our conversation has been focused on families, young families, mm -hmm. but often it is people that are very much if they're successful, and they say, I don't need life insurance, I can self-insure. Oh, okay. Why do I need life insurance? Right. I mean, they have millions in the they bank. They have millions, right. So, this was related to me by a good friend who, is, who knows the, the facts up, uh, personally. But, of course, this is not isolated to this one unique case. But I think it really drives the point home. So, this person would say, I'm not buying life insurance. I can do what the insurance company does. And, sadly, this person's wife passed away in her 60s. And Nebuch, not too much uh, longer afterwards, he also passed away. And this, these were about wealthy individuals. Mm -hmm. And maybe some of this is a little technical, and I'll try to keep it as simple as I can. They passed away in 2009. Mm -hmm. It was a tremendous market crash in real estate asset value. What ended up happening is their assets, is, as is the case with transfer of assets, were... Uh, were valued for purpose of potential estate taxes. However, devaluation was based on 2008 valuations. 
in 2009, some of their properties have lost literally 30, 40, 50% of the value. Mm. Their tax bill was based on a much larger appraisal. They were left with assets that had now been significantly devalued without a lot of cash on hand to pay the tax bill. They literally had to liquidate those assets at fire sale prices, mm -hmm. further, uh, further increasing their loss, and all because he thought that he can self-insure, not realizing that forget about life insurance purely for life insurance, it's a smart strategic use of money for purpose of total asset allocation, which brings me back to what I was discussing earlier, that life insurance fits into portfolio asset allocation. And I know, of course, a lot of a lot of um, our listeners and viewers, they may have their wealth advisor at Merrill, right? Mm -hmm. Or they may have an independent wealth advisor at some other wirehouse or financial institution. And it's all fine and well. But if you don't have life insurance as part of your portfolio, as part of your design, chances are you have a, flat, a flawed financial plan mm. in every way you look at it. So to me, life insurance is very much a foundational part of any financial plan and uh, it's something that is very often overlooked. Yeah, Hatzalah has a week, Haverim has a week, Shemrim has a week. There should be a life we insurance We want to make week. a life insurance week. Absolutely. Is there a month of the year that you want to push it? Well, in, in, in the industry at large, September is known as the Life Insurance Awareness Month. That falls out, starts to make chuva. That falls out, starts to make chuva, which is, well, it's time for us to really take an account of, right. of what's going on, right? Right. But I, I would be happy if we have a life insurance week. We don't need a life insurance okay. month. So life insurance week in different neighborhoods, I think could definitely be a fantastic, uh, a fantastic idea. And uh, unless you have other questions, I, a, I'd like to yeah, thank you for, for ahead. inviting me. Sure. And thank of course, introduced to you by Zevi, who not only, of course, somebody I know well, he's my cousin, but yeah, somebody who I've come to respect phenomenally. And has just been involved in a tremendous amount of very interesting projects and been able to execute on them uh, in a very bechavedig way, but in an impactful way. Sure. But also, a couple of us got together many months ago, and we put up a website under the banner of Jewish Life Insurance Professionals Network. We I sort hope of that's not the name of the website, Jewish Life no. Professionals so, Network. Right, that would, right. That would be a little. So lengthy. we've shortened it, and it's jlipn.org. JLIPN.org. So, so again, that's short for Jewish Life Insurance Professional Network. Mm -hmm. So it's JLIPN.org. On the website, consumers can learn about the basics of life insurance, okay. the difference of various different products, and mm -hmm. why they would use one over the other, how much insurance they should get. Mm -hmm. right? We didn't get an opportunity to really dive into that, but on this website, there's a calculator that would help them figure out how much insurance they should get based on their specific needs, right? Mm -hmm. How many kids do they have? Do they have any credit card debt? Do they have uh, plans of sending their kids off to college or other major financial goals that they, they have for their family? And there's also a quote calculator. So consumers can quote all they want. They can quote away every different type of scenario. Mm -hmm. It is focused on term insurance, mostly on the quoting because whole life is, a, it, it, I don't think it, it gets a little more uh, technical. So they they can quote term life insurance. And the beauty of it is it's not a lead generator. So we don't ask you to share your email address. Mm. We don't ask you for any of your information. We don't capture any of it. There's nobody that's going to follow up with you. Mm. Uh, there's no strings attached. Sounds like a We'd, selfless act on your, your guy's part to well, yeah, bring this. But thankfully, it would cost us a couple of thousand dollars to put it up. But I thought that it, it's critical for that tool to be out there in our community so people can 
look at it from the comfort of their home, their office, maybe before they meet with an insurance agent. Mm -hmm. It'll give them education. Mm -hmm. So when they meet, well, I think often we're sort of educated when we go to a doctor is we should have a list of what questions we'd like to ask the doctor, right? Because we often have very limited time with doctors. Right. Well, if you're going to meet with your financial planner, you're going to meet with your insurance agent, be educated. Sure. And that'll make you a much better consumer. And again, there is no capturing of information. Beautiful. If you want to reach out to us, there's a, you can hit and contact us, but there's nothing over there that asks you for any of that. And no strings attached. Beautiful. If you have any life insurance questions, like you all said, head over to that website. Y'all, this has been a very enlightening conversation. Looking forward to having many more. And we thank you for coming down. Oh, with pleasure. Thank you for having me. I know, I know, I know. Amazing episode. And we didn't get to everything. I'm sure there are questions you have that we didn't cover. We want to hear your questions. Info at livingsmarterjewish.org. Hit us up with all your life insurance questions. If you need help finding a life insurance salesman, we know a bunch of great ones. If you did not budget yet, right? If you're listening to episode six just now and you're like, yeah, I didn't get around to budgeting, email info at livingsmarterjewish.org. Let us get you that budgeting worksheet, which is a critical first step in managing your finances. So we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you do not have life insurance, you heard it from Yoel. I got a phone call from a, a great fellow named Albert Kahn. He's in Flatbush. He's in real estate, but he made it his life mission to ensure everyone has life insurance. Someone said, if you walk up to him, he will say, hey, how are you? Do you have life insurance? Like, that's literally all he is focused on. He wants to make sure. And there's other stuff. He talks to you about a will and a healthcare proxy. And we'll get into those in other episodes. But right now, the if you walk away from this episode with one thing is you need to ensure your family is protected and it does not cost a lot of money, right? Term life insurance is a handful of dollars per month. If you get it when you're younger, the premiums are super low and your family could be protected. Now, there's a lot of ins and outs and all those questions. That is for your life insurance salesman. Um, Find a good one or woman and um, let them hook you up with great life insurance so you can sleep better at night knowing your family is protected. That is another episode in the books produced by livingsmarterjewish.org in conjunction with Living L'Chaim. That was giving me the looks. There's a lot of living, okay? There's livinglechaim.com. They do great work, podcast networks. Yaakov has some things brewing. Really excited about that. Livingsmarterjewish.org is a project of the OU. They're helping people with their personal finances. This outro has gotten a lot longer than I thought it would be. So I'm out. Until next time, keep your money kosher. This podcast has been hosted by my brother, Eli Langer, produced by me, Yaakov Langer, and brought to you by Living L'Chaim. To check out other podcasts from Living L'Chaim, go to livinglechaim.com. Check out our YouTube channel. Check up Living L'Chaim on podcasts and do your thing. Until next time, enjoy life. Living L'Chaim.